you know what that music means. That music means we're in the studio for another Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Sunday morning. Welcome. What a week it has been. If you haven't joined us for this show before, it's a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people. People in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their decision-making, their consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and mental health. Today, we are talking about ageing. Now, bearing in mind we live in an area that has one of the fastest growing ageing populations, we need to look, I would propose at how we can live with quality in our lives and not just quantity. My co-presenter in the studio today is Ian Stewart. Welcome, Ian. Good morning, Lucy. Now, what are we covering today? Okay, look, it's something that happens from the day we're first born and there is really nothing that we can do about it. We start getting older and as every year passes, our bodies change. Grey hair pokes through wrinkles form and we're not as flexible as we used to be we tire sooner and we retire earlier as well so today as you say we're focusing on the aging process we're going to look at the research being undertaken into aging and the steps we can take to minimize the downside and prolong the experience of living longer helping us today in the studio we'll have uh, professor ross grant who's head of the australasian research institute at sydney adventist hospital and I'll introduce him a little, uh, little later on when we'll be able to hear his views and pick his brain. But first up, first up, we're going to meet Wal Edwards. Wal, believe it or not, is 101 years old and one of the most extraordinary men you'll ever meet. And we're very grateful to Di Barnes of St Ives Rotary for introducing us to Wal and for, for arranging this interview. Wall is an active member of St Ives Rotary Club. He still drives. He continues to take part in Rotary activities like their annual Tree of Joy programme and he visits elderly folk and war veterans in retirement and nursing homes. And Lucy was able to have a word with Wall a few days ago. I was born in uh, Hamilton in uh, New South Wales uh, in 1916. And uh, that was on the 22nd of November, 1916, so I'm 102 this year. I don't know too many people uh, who are my age. For instance, uh, I, I, the only ones I know that are around about my age, uh, they're in aged care facilities. And um, I happen to be welfare off some hardwood diggers for the last 25 years or so. Yeah. And uh, I do all the visitations to uh, the hospital aged care facilities, war veterans in uh, in the North Shore. You go out to them and do that? Oh yes, I'm still active. Oh my lord! I, I'm kept busy because uh, being the welfare officer of the Hubble Diggers, I yes. have over the years been. Uh, dealing with the Department of Veteran Affairs on uh, numerous occasions and getting uh, pensions for ex-servicemen who deserve to be looked after. Yeah. Uh, and the questions that they ask are so uh, <laughs> generous 
And uh, one of the trick questions, I think, well, I've said that, and so, and they're not uh, they're not well enough to to uh, to fill them in. Sometimes it takes about two hours to fill them in, and then then we get knocked back uh, each time I submit an application, and well, each time we get back, we go to another authority, and I I, I get a bit uh, uh, <laughs> determined.
the situation where we, I get, for my part, I do the visitations to these uh, aged care facilities and war vets, get the names of uh, the uh, people who are in there, get their age and uh, what they'd like for Christmas. And our, our boys and girls uh, and members uh, write the, all this detail on the card, and the card's put on, a, on the Christmas tree in Sonai Shopping Centre, and we encourage the public to uh, be generous enough and be compassionate enough to buy the card and get whatever's on the card, and they do. They're Wonderful. so generous in Sonai, mm-hmm. so they, they've got to know and like the idea of yep. being able to uh, to buy a present for someone who's, you know, really incapacitated and appreciate. Yes. And I, well, it's, it, all these presents are uh, collected by our members and uh, stored in in one's garage. And uh, then when when Christmas time comes around, my son and I uh, deliver them. So. That, that's a, a good project. That's and, a lovely uh, project. Uh, last year, I think it was about 600 uh, presents that uh, Ian and I delivered. And uh, well, you get pretty well known <laughs> in these places. They look forward to it each year. Yes, I can imagine. Yes. I can imagine. Yes. Well, congratulations. Now, what... What are your top tips for staying young? Because I suspect that you are the go-to person for questions like this. Because you're not only you're not only with us at 101, nearly 102, but you also are active and healthy. And that those are the ingredients that I think people sometimes lack in that longevity. Yes. Well, as as a story that I like telling, because. We we all know that there are a lot of people out there suffering. And the best idea that I can say to anybody who has something wrong with them, don't take it apart too much because there's always someone out there that's worse than you. Mm. And so my, my advice is, First of all, stop whinging. Have I done? Stop stop whinging. There's always someone worse off than you. And if you think about that, well, it's true. Because you've only got to go down the road and uh, you see uh, someone worse off, don't you? Yes. Uh, I mean, I've got a few things uh, that I choose not to have. Yeah. But I don't like to forget it. I don't want to talk about it. It's just, uh, all right, so what? Yeah. Uh, as you get older, well, you must expect to have something wrong. Uh, and uh, and you, can, you just can't get out of it, can you? We've got a frail body. Yes. So that's it. The, the most important thing is try and relax. Don't worry too much. Uh, when, when you have uh, trouble or stress, try not to worry. Mm-hmm. Just have faith and trust 
and mm. and uh, pray for help mm. and contact me because I'm yeah. here to try and help people in that sort of situation. If they lose a loved one, yeah. well, well, I'd like to uh, contact them and because I've been through stress myself over the years, I lost mm. two sons. Right. One at 28, one at 68. And there's nothing worse than losing a child. Yeah. It's just uh, oh, it's terrible. And yeah. those who have lost a child, well, they know. So we, we must get hate and anger out of our heart. Mm. It only hurts ourselves. Try and be happy in bad times. Try and make others happy and laugh. Uh, and laugh a lot with others if possible, reach out to others, look for other people who need help and give help to them in friendship and compassion. It costs you nothing. And as I said, stop reaching about your ailments and uh, it's, uh, have compassion that makes you in trouble. Grieve with them. And forgiveness, that's a, that's a great word in life. Don't hold a grudge. God forgives our sins if we repent and pray that God will pour His Holy Spirit into your heart to give you the strength and courage and wisdom to do these sort of things. And the most important word in the dictionary is love. Love is life. It endures. It's precious. Perseveres. It always wins. It gives hope. It strengthens faith. It keeps no record of wrongdoings. So, why not? Why not do it? And this happiness every day of your life, that's, a, that's good, isn't it? Have you like that one? I love that one. <laughs> I, I'm, I call myself a love bug because that's all I ever talk about is, is love and the importance of love and care. And yeah, your everything that you said there is right. It's very, very beautiful because ultimately love doesn't judge. That's right. Now, people may have achieved everything that man dreams about in life, including wealth and social standing. That you know, they're a big shot. I think they're a big shot. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if they don't have love, they get, they've really got nothing. I like to practice it with uh, visiting these people in hospital. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sad. It, it's, if people haven't seen anyone in a nursing home, an aged care facility, uh, or wall beds, why not try and go and visit one of these places? Just go and have a look at them. Mm. I, know, I know one place, they're all ladies. It's in Manly Vale. And it's so sad when you go in there and you see all these people who've got dementia, they've got uh, elderly on them, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're humped, they're, they're, uh, they've got uh, trouble with their limbs all bent mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. It's sad. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? I do. I do. And so do you find that they don't have very many people visiting? No. Mm. No. 
and, and that's a sad part. Uh, I've had experience with a lot of people that uh, they, <laughs> well, I don't like talking about this one, but it has been so, whereby uh, the younger people have uh, thought uh, mum has lost dad and mum's in a big house and mum should sell the house and come and live with them and when they live in, with them all they, they think well we can't go away uh, on our trips and that and be mum because she's uh, incapacitated and see they, 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 they have encouraged uh, their, their mum uh, uh, to uh, look for or help, help her get into a, a nursing home Mm. Well, that's the worst thing, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Because... Do you find they go downhill very quickly? They go downhill very quickly, yes. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> that's it. But, uh, you live with your wife, don't you, Walt? Uh, yes, I, I do, yeah. Oh, well, I've had experiences like that, too. Yeah. I've, been, I've been married three times. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was for what? Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly my second wife, uh, 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 was there for 40 years and and she had cancer. Mm-hmm. She had uh, cancer the, the bowel, the upper bowel, the lower bowel, the centre mm-hmm. kidney, the spots in the liver. The third uh, operation was uh, uh, the rubbing, uh, had it, she had it all in the stomach. Right. And then... Uh, they said at the hospital, we can't do any more. I said, well, never mind. Come on, I'll nurse you. We won't get anyone in. I'll nurse you. So I, I did that. Took off two stone and doing it. Nursed the night and day. Fed it, washed it, take the toilet and all of this. Mm. Until bell flipped one day. And this was beginning of the end because it happened yeah. three or four times. And rang the doctor. He came and gave her a needle. And took her away in the ambulance, and 33 hours she had passed away. But there are things. I, I was too stoned, had a pain in my back, couldn't mm-hmm. go and uh, get that fixed. But that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. You're married for life, you yeah. look after them. Yeah. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Look after your wife. Love mm-hmm. her. Spoil her. Give her anything she wants, but mostly love. Yeah, love that world. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. I think you've given everyone some very good top tips. You're welcome, Well, Edwards, who is 101 years old, turning 102 this year. In the studio today, I have my co-presenter, Ian. Hello, Ian. Good, good, good. And we've been joined by Ross. Welcome, Ross. Hi, Lucy. Ross, um is a biochemical pharmacologist at the School of Medical Sciences at the University of New South Wales, a clinical associate professor at the Sydney Adventist Hospital Clinical School of the University of Sydney and head of the Australasian Research Institute. And we'll be picking your brain um, a little little bit later on. But just going back to Wall, I mean, what an extraordinary story. 101. And the key triggers for him, compassion for his fellow man, I mean, that above everything else seems to be what's, what's driven him. Absolutely. And explains uh, who he is and perhaps how he's managed to, to, to live so long. Um, 
And I love that expression of his. Stop whinging. Yeah. Don't worry. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. And um, the, the uh, motivation he gets from helping other people. Mm. He, he seems to get an enormous buzz, doesn't he? He does. From, from visiting the war veterans in their homes, organising the Tree of Joy at the St Ives Shopping Centre, community activities like that. Uh, but to be able to keep doing that yeah. for so long. Yeah. And then what he told us about his wife. Mm-hmm. They were married 40 years, bowel cancer, wasn't going to get a carer. I'm going to look after her, he says. I mean, what a, uh, what a, what a wonderful uh, person Wall is. He really, I, I expected something very different from the interview, which taught me never to go into an interview with a picture, Ian. Uh, it was really quite interesting because I, I did think that love would come up. I mean, I know how important love is, but he was emphatic that love is a cornerstone, a mm. foundation. Um, I thought he would mention somewhere about the food he ate or the way he lived um, or... Uh, one of the areas that that surprised me, but I'm so pleased he talked about, is to get rid of hate and regret and um, anger. And I know that they're poison to my body, but I don't think we really talk about it enough, how that resentment um, tightens all of your connective tissue because you're holding on and it just stops the... Perhaps it stops the freedom of movement of uh, oxygen around your cells. And, and obviously we know that healthy cells need healthy oxygen. But he, he lives it. He lives what he, he... He lives community. He lives relationships. And I, that, that really inspired me. Well, it wasn't the food or the nutrition that, that you thought you were going to get from No. He well, gets just nourishment. From, from life. From life and from love. Yeah. And from looking after other people. Yes. Yes. There is. But c- clearly, he also must look after himself to a point because I know plenty of people who do that, who give everything to everybody else and end up exhausted, resentful and overwhelmed and you know, with, with something like cancer. So I don't think actually giving to everybody else is the answer. I don't think that's what he was saying. Mm. But it has to be that we see life as more than ourselves, more than just what can I get out of it. There has to be a service to humanity and to our fellow man that comes into it. Otherwise, we, we will end up with a centralised life that I think is part of the breakdown of the fabric of our community and our society. Ross, you've been listening. Where do you come at this? Yeah, look, I love the story of Wall, and I just, you know, as you were talking yeah, look, where does nutrition fit in? Where does the exercise fit in? All of those other things. Obviously, we're living in a body which is basically biochemistry. Mm. So ultimately, we've got to keep that biochemistry healthy. Mm. We've got to keep the cells healthy. But how does that selfless approach fit? And now we're starting to get into sort of some of those real philosophical questions. And I think it's a great place to start because it comes up time and time again when we talk about, uh, you know, what is it that makes people live a long, healthy, happy life? And you find as a foundation to that always that there's this element of selflessness that comes in. Yes. So the fact that Wall didn't talk about some of the other things, as you said, Lucy, it doesn't mean that they aren't there. No, they're just his normal, aren't they? Yes. He, he, he really has as his foundation, which I think is, and if you've asked me personally, I think that that is absolutely true. Mm. I think we need to, in order to be well, 
we need to be psychologically well. Yes. And in order to be psychologically well, there's those psychosocial elements, all of that. And it seems with the human, no matter how we want to sort of string it and what philosophy we want to put around it, there is something about the human that needs to have or at least responds best when it is giving to something else, when it is selfless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The more we seem to focus on ourselves, the more we seem to get tied up and unfortunately creates that stress. Now, if I just put a little biochemical spin on this, um, part of that selflessness is releasing, like he was saying, don't hang on to hate, don't hang on to regret, all of those kind of things. Give something for somebody else. And when you do that, the biochemistry seems to just work so much better. I mean, I guess we'll get into the detail of the biochemistry shortly, and there's lots of ways in which you can damage it. Yeah. But certainly it seems there's something foundational about taking on a selflessness approach that supports the biochemistry in a way that keeps this whole complex integrated system working so beautifully and doing the best with whatever else you're putting on it. Now, we'll talk about whatever else you can put mm. on it. Yeah. But, yes. But uh, as, as we mentioned in the beginning, um, Ross, uh, Wall is a Rotarian. And yes. a very active Rotarian. Mm. And if, if there's any agency that is out there doing good work in the community and allowing people to develop this selflessness, absolutely, um, it would it would be it would be Rotary. Well, I love the Rotarian. Um, you know, Rotary's uh, motto is service above self. Yes, yes, um, fantastic. Yep, yep. I love that too because you have actually have a responsibility to bring a body to Rotary that is capable of service above self. You have mm. to be responsible in nurturing yourself in order to offer service to another. Mm. So mm. there's a res personal responsibility that's involved in that. Mm. Just going back to the physical side of things, uh, you wouldn't maybe have met Ross, and, and I've only seen photos, Lucy, but he's extremely dapper. He's very well presented. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a photograph of him receiving a card on his 101st birthday at the, at the, at the St Ives Rotary Club, tweed suit, tie cuffs, you know, really immaculately turned out, mm. uh, silver hair, beautifully uh, coiffed. And um, so he's maintained his own physical and outward appearance mm. um, throughout all of this. Uh, and honestly, he looked more like 65, not 101. Mm. It is inspirational, isn't it, in the mm. sense that when we bring that deep care to ourselves, when we don't let ourselves go, there is... A, a reward of harmony in our body. You, mm. you spoke about it so well that I've, I heard harmony, the harmony in nature when we don't impose on it and actually the harmony in our body. And Wal will be here as long as his body and that harmony exists. And, and when the balance tips, it will be his time to go and, and, and that will be that. I feel he will have completed everything that he is here in this life to do. It's if we don't feel we can control it, there's a, an amazing, um, I don't know, I, I, it, seems, it seems philosophical because I can't put it into logic. It just seems that he still has work to do, which is what he says. Mm. I still have work to do. I'm not intending on going anywhere. Mm. I, love I, I love the work he's doing, uh, his advocacy work. He yeah. was doing for the for the war vets, yeah, and and confronting the people at the revolt board of review and saying, "Have you actually ever uh, yeah. uh, served in the defence?" Yeah. Oh, well, not really. Yeah, and he was able to come in straight away. and says, and I've lived in these yes. men's shoes. Yeah, they know, they need all the help they can get." Mm. Um, interestingly enough, uh, during the week uh, there was a story about the Pathfinders, the bomb from Bomber Command mm. of Australia, who had originally been denied 
the opportunity to go to Lincoln to take That's to, right. to observe the installation of a war memorial for Bomber Command. And the uh, reaction from the DVA initially was, no, no, these men are too old, they can't travel. Yeah. But uh, a bit of lobbying, and yeah. finally the minister came on the radio a few days ago and said, oh, well, yes, now that RAF and ourselves have put our heads together, <laughs> we're going to get these chaps over. <laughs> to now we've actually considered whether they would like to go, not whether they can go, but actually, you know, there's a healing process yeah. in, in that we, we put them through. What we ask them to do as a human race, asked another person to do in our name, is, is, a, is terrifying. You know, we ask them to go and, and kill each other. That's what war is. I mean, you have to. We can't just pretend that that, that didn't happen and we're not still asking people to do mm. that. We have to respect that there are consequences and traumas that come from. So, Wall did four like years. That. Four years. Um, up in uh, Papua New Guinea, Borneo area. He yep. would have been under a lot of um, enemy fire and pressure throughout all of that yeah. and man- yet still manages to come through all of that with yeah. great compassion yeah. um, and empathy for his fellow man. Well, absolutely wonderful. He said to me, he said, oh, look, I didn't have it bad. I didn't have it bad at all. Uh. And you, you listen to that and you go, dude, like that, that you, are, you are extraordinary what you're giving others, but the reason you can give it to others is because you've actually psychologically dealt mm. with it. This morning, I have a co-presenter in the form of Ian Stewart. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. I'm going to leave it to you to introduce our next guest. Okay. So with us in the studio, we've got Associate Professor Ross Grant. Um, and as you're going to hear, we're in very, very, very good hands. Uh, Ross is a biochemical pharmacologist at the, in the School of Medical Science at the University of New South Wales, a clinical associate professor at the Sydney Adventist Hospital Clinical School of the University of Sydney and head of the Australasian Research Institute. Ross, it's very, very good of you to come into the studio because I know on Sunday mornings you're more likely to be found uh, on the beach. Is that right? Ian, that's, that's absolutely true. It's one of the things that I at least enjoy doing, going down early and joining the crowds down there. Good, good, um, good. So, um, more seriously, tell us a little bit, what is the Australasian Research Institute? So the Austral- we all know the SAN, but what, yeah. what is the... Uh, so, the Australasian Research Institute, or ARI, as we mm-hmm, like to call it, mm-hmm. is, uh, is a research arm of the Sydney Adventist Hospital. Uh, so, we've been there about 14 years now. And uh, one of the primary drivers for what we do is... And I'm going to step just uh, uh, clarify a little bit in terms of what we do in terms of ageing. We're actually not focused on ageing as such. What we're focused on is health and particularly maintaining our body's cellular health or maintaining our health uh, within the context of all of those various stresses that come about that we call lifestyle factors. And we know that lifestyle factors, you know, if you have too much of this or not enough of that, etc., then it, predispose you to diabetes or heart disease etc well we want to understand not just the individual pieces which a lot of people have done already we want to understand how those constellation of factors ultimately interact to produce either a pathway towards health and we just had wall on at 102 he's obviously found a pretty effective pathway to health or unfortunately as 90 percent of the population will find the pathway that leads towards disease and there that's nine out of ten people roughly will die of a lifestyle-associated disease. So, so, so how do you actually research all of this? I mean, so it's a wide spectrum. Um, yeah. I mean, have you got cohorts of 
patients out there in the community who are feeding you back data or well we've done we've got a multiple uh, a variety of things I mean we, we tap into some of the larger studies and, and sort of link up with with larger groups uh, some of the uh, uh, the biggest uh, you know with over 90,000 participants is, is what they call Adventist Health Study 2 which is running out of uh, uh, Loma Linda University in the US um, but what we're looking at really is is some of the biochemical shifts and there's a nexus which we're particularly interested in is what we call oxidative stress and inflammation. So as we look at that, and there's become a, an increasing awareness of the fact that we have this, what's called subclinical. So when you have disease, it's called clinical. It means a clinic can identify it and diagnose it. But before you ever get there, before you ever get to heart disease, diabetes, dementia, you've had a subclinical process. Something has been going wrong in the biochemistry, probably for decades, almost certainly for decades, uh, and it's identifying what that is. And we think it's this inflammation, oxidative stress, which is causing this chronic, consistent, day-in, day-out damage to the tissue, which ultimately white ants, if you like, uh, the, the body's uh, So oxidative, tissues. just define that for us. So oxidative, most people have heard the term free radical. All right? So free radicals, most people know are bad. All a free radical is is a molecule that has an unpaired electron. Now, without getting too technical, the body is just biochemistry, so we're animated biochemistry, as beautiful as that is, and the way the body holds it together is through the chemistry and it shares electrons, backwards and forwards, and they like to always have their electrons shared in pairs. A free radical is a molecule that somehow has lost an electron or hasn't been able to pick up its pair, and so it will run around and try and rip off an electron from something that's a little bit weaker. And when it does that, it's a little bit like having a gingerbread house and somebody going around and pulling off the gingerbread, going, well, I'd like that, thanks. Eventually the walls <laughs> are going to fall down, and, and that's what happens. But, of course, this is happening in billions of reactions around the body. And if you're doing a lot of oxidative damage, now if we think about so oxidative damage, free radical damage, we've identified, particularly when it comes to, or researchers identified um, previously, that when it comes to uh, uh, developing atherosclerosis, you know, the build-up of that mm -hmm. plaque within the artery, it's not so much the amount of cholesterol that you have floating around, though that actually increases the risk. It's actually the amount of oxidised cholesterol or free radical damaged cholesterol that seems to be the primary driver for building up those plaques. And this is where some of those confusion has come in over the recent years as, oh, look, you know, 25% of people at least who, have, who develop uh, atherosclerosis have got low or normal cholesterol. How is that possible? And yet you've got a bunch of people, still it is a high risk, but if you've still got a bunch of people who have high cholesterol but don't develop atherosclerosis, why is that? Well, it's that combination at least, and we're thinking that this actually helps to, to explain. You can have normal cholesterol but high free radical background or high oxidative stress. Yes, you're going to develop more atherosclerosis, more potential for plaque. You can have a high cholesterol and a high oxidative stress or even a normal oxidative stress, you've got more cholesterol around in order for you to then more cholesterol to damage and therefore your risk increases. So, so what's the best way to combat oxidative stress? Yeah, good question. So there's <laughs> lots of things that drive, with it, and the body, as I said, it's, it is this animated biochemistry and without getting all tied up in some of the, the, the minutiae, the body likes its, it when we produce energy from the food that we eat, we use oxygen, and there's a reason why we call it oxidative stress, because oxygen is a primary driver in free radical production. So you take in uh, too many calories, you're going to push that pathway down towards producing its energy in the form of 
at adenosine triphosphate, so three phosphates. But you're using oxygen as the main reason why you sit here and breathe. That oxygen is being used up, goes down these very complex pathways, and ultimately it should come out as just water. So you should end up with ATP, the energy bit, and water, and some CO2, carbon dioxide, that you breathe out. Unfortunately, if you don't transfer all of those electrons properly, you end up with what's called superoxide, a molecule that is a free radical. So pushing those pathways for energy too much and you'll end up with more free radicals coming out. It's one of the reasons why we think um, one of the oldest uh, or one of the best recognised um, preventions or extensions for life is uh, actually reducing calorie intake. And they've done it for years, anywhere wow. between 10 and 30%. First identified back in the 1930s in Cornell University with a very small group of animal studies just showing if they reduced their calorie intake by 10 to 30%, they were able to increase their lifespan by 30% at least. And are there some communities that, that do this? Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, there are. I mean, just naturally. I mean, some of the, the older communities, there is, uh, and I, I, I love the sort of uh, Japanese Okinawan sort of approach, which is, and, and I'm going to say this wrongly, but uh, what is irihachibu, I think, is what they mean, is <laughs> essentially leaving the table before you feel full. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Fabulous. We, yeah. We tend to sort of sit down at the table and keep gorging ourselves until we're actually full. Yeah. Um, whereas leaving it so that you're, yep, not forcing the body to actually put in more than what it can actually deal with. Yes. Um, so, yes, metabolism is one that actually stimulates some of that free radical production. So, yes, you want to be nutrient-nourished. You need to get the nutrients in there. But when you think about some of the food that we eat, we're not so much getting nourishment, we're just getting calories. Mm. And when you think of the highly refined stuff, uh, I can't give, uh, certainly on radio, some details here about some of the companies, but there are certainly places that you can go. And if you have a look at their nutrient list that they'll have to put up on their website or on their, their products, you can see essentially it's all sugar, fat, and often salt. Mm. And you think, well, th- what else is in there? So I'm just yeah. giving myself a carbohydrate, or not just a carbohydrate, I'm giving myself just an energy hit, which is driving that pathway. Yes. But I'm not giving it any of the nutrients, none of the, the vitamins, the minerals, or now what we're understanding, particularly this big class of what we call the phytonutrients. Yes. And that phytonutrient class, all of those coloured fruits and veggies that you get, uh, the purples, the greens, the oranges, yeah. these contain these beautiful classes of molecules that do a bunch of really important stuff. And we need to get those into the body, one of which is being able to donate electrons without hurting us. In other words, they donate electrons. That's why they're antioxidants. They actually give up an electron to the oxidants or the free radicals. So the free radicals are happy. They've got an electron. These guys, I like to call them a little bit more, they're emotionally healthy molecules. They don't need to have their electron partner quite as much as what the free radicals do. So they give up their electron and go, that's okay. I'll get one from one of the professionals later on, which they do. And that's our body's antioxidant system when we've got different enzymes there, superoxide dismutase and glutathione and that type of thing. So, So quite a number of children have a resistance to eating the purples and the, the, the coloured. Yes. Um, and they need to be sort of force-fed the broccoli yes. and the spinach. Yes. Any tips on how to um, encourage? Look, I wish I had more tips and I, and I could sit here as an expert because I, we don't have children, so um, I guess I can be more of an expert. And, and essentially what we are trying to do is encourage them to have as much... And you can put it into different things. You can actually put... Um, now, I don't know whether or not you've ever tasted um, uh, uh, an avocado um, mousse. Yeah. Which you can make as a chocolate mousse. Yeah, absolutely. But make it out of avocado. Absolutely. Absolutely delicious. Yeah. You can do a 
terrific job. Okay. And it's you can a... put beetroot into muffins and they come out looking like chocolate. I mean, there Absolutely. are really clever ways to do it. And there are some very, I'll, I'll put on the website some links to some clever websites that, mm. that make food interesting and palatable to the children's palate. But the only reason it isn't palatable to their palate is because of the the um, companies that put so much sugar and salt in the baby food mm. that you first introduce. It's if we didn't mm. have that business behind it and, and a whole business built on introducing sugar and salt and um, so many unnecessary bits to our diet we wouldn't have that problem so, so perhaps some of those communities we hear about like in the mediterranean area yeah. where there's evidence of great longevity yes um and you hear about olive oil and uh, absolutely the healthy um nutrition yep they never had in the they never had access no. to some of those processed baby foods that's that right. contain the elements you've just been describing that's right i mean they feed corn to cattle mm. to fatten them up well surely if they're feeding corn to cattle to fat, fatten them up then the same might happen with us whereas olive oil is a very natural and correct me if i'm wrong here because you're going to know that better than me but um, olive oil doesn't impose on the body in the same way well, look, I think the great thing about olive oil, uh, and it's important to recognise that, um, you know, it contains a lot of what's called the omega-9s, but uh, it's not so much the oil but all of the phytonutrients that come yeah. in with that. And that actually, now, these are the generous ones, the phytonutrients, right? That's right. They're the generous ones. They're the ones that are giving up their electrons. See, they're, I they're love <laughs> this picture you've drawn for me. Helping the body to... to, to maintain itself in a balanced, yeah. what we call a redox balanced state. I, I, you know, I'd like to just emphasise that I think, um, of course, it's not just baby foods which is, which is uh, creating the problems in our society, but it is setting them up mm. with that kind of taste expectation. That's it. And then ultimately that goes on and then, yeah. you know, they're looking for those kind of foods later on. It only takes a couple of weeks to actually yeah. shift your, your palate. And certainly by six weeks, if you've, if you've been able to sort of pare it back and some of the arguments for even uh, reducing the amount of salt in our, in our food supply, whether it's for children or for adults, um, you know, you, you would, if you reduced it by 10% and did it gradually, we wouldn't really notice the difference mm. if it was introduced gradually. Yep. And so I think as a society, we do need to, you know, we know that we're getting uh, uh, ahead of ourselves when it comes to uh, the amount of uh, particularly the amount of, of money we have to spend on health care. Yep. And we've got to be careful that uh, uh, we still have money available for those people who need that health care. Uh, but there's a society we, we've got to try and set up or facilitate that healthy behavioural change. Yes, we, we have to be responsible, don't we? What you're saying is that if we can change our taste expectations in a, in a stepped way then we're going to put less pressure on a system so that those who really need it have access to it. Yeah, if I can just make one quick comment. Uh, a lot of people talk about, well, look, we don't want to take away choice. Mm. No, I think that's okay. I think you can leave choice out there. But I think it needs to be appropriately managed in terms of what the risks are for the health of the community. So it should be attached to some, you know, if you're going to make those choices, then at some point there should at least be some kind of tariff around you you making those choices because you'll have to dip more into the into the collective yes. community resources at a later stage and so yes creating those choices but making sure that we are actually creating choices that are healthier mm. and enabling people to be able to engage with healthy choices now we've got a lot more in society i've been a vegetarian for quite a long time uh, and i can tell you that there is 
terrific restaurants out there that are being mm-hmm. able to provide this sort of food and within supermarkets and that type of thing now as well, much more than it was some time ago. But at the same time, it is still far easier for most of the population to um, make poorer choices because they're the ones that are simply available most readily. Yes. And they're often the cheapest. Yes. Um, and no matter how you want to argue that, that still is a foundational issue within our society. So maybe we just need to, to think a little bit more about that and hopefully we can engage in that in a, in a way that will make it easier for people to live well. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We have um, heard from Walt Edwards today, who is 102 this year, and asked him, um, and what came out of what he was sharing was the importance of community, of love, of getting over yourself. Um, Dr. Russ Grant has been illustrating that with the reasons why. So, Ian, take it away. I'm going to leave it in your capable hands for where else we're going to go. So one of the things we want to explore um, are ways we can delay the ageing process, Ross. Mm, mm. Um, You've indicated that diet and nutrition can play a very important part in getting our Mm. bodies set up properly Mm. right from the very beginning. Okay, let's say I'm 80 years old and I'm a bit worried about whether I'm going to make it to 90. Um, uh, Is there any way of delaying that um, uh, holding back the years? Ian, I think, and, and whether or not you're 80 wanting to get to 90 or whether or not you're 60 wanting to get to 80. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or necessary, well, even much younger, trying to sort of maintain that, uh, uh, the performance, whether it's, it's intellectual or whether it's physical, whatever it might be. Um, and that can sort of stretch right back to your 30s, if you like. But ageing is an interesting sort of thing on its own. We sort of have to get some sort of idea about what this concept of ageing actually is. And... Probably the easiest one for me um, is recognising that ageing is, is, is an accumulated damage within all the tissues of the body. Some tissues can accumulate damage faster. I mean, if I, if I asked you uh, simply, well, can we age our skin faster, you would tell me I would do what? I'd certainly get out in the sun and... Um, get out in the sun, exactly. Yeah. Probably smoke and, and mm. uh, if I wanted to age the liver faster, you would probably tell me... Drink more. Have, have a few <laughs> more. So there are ways in which we can damage different organs faster and we know that our bodies are turning over the tissue <laughs> all the time and so the next generation of, of cells that are coming through to replace the previous ones, if they've accumulated a little bit of damage which doesn't allow them to do quite the job that they did beforehand, then, of course, the tissue that they make is going to be a little bit less... Um, functional compared to what a younger tissue is. So we're doing that all the time. And I think if we recognise that this is what the ageing process is. So if we wanted to preserve our skin, as many people know, particularly in the beauty industry, we want to do things that are going to protect it from the things that are going to damage it. So all of those things that people naturally recognise, yes, we're going to look after our skin uh, when it comes to the sun, but also from the inside out, we want to make sure that it's got all the nutrients that it needs. It needs to have... Ross, I haven't got time for... Uh, slipping and slopping and slapping. And you just want a pill, don't you? I want, I want to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you got in the cupboard? Yes. <laughs> and, and look, it's a great question because there are certainly people who are advocating for the fact that they think that they have found uh, things like uh, the elixir of life or very close to it. And uh, their arguments are, look, if we give this and can 
boost up this particular molecule and there's a specific area of research that we've been involved with for, for a number of years um, and uh, certain other elements that have come into this, this space at the moment in quite a popular way have been advocating if they can boost up molecules, particularly one called NADs, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, which is a molecule that sits uh, in every single cell, lots of it's needed, necessary for repairing DNA, so you can see how that would be important to ageing. It's important for generating energy, so you need to maintain it for energy. It's important for signalling certain molecules that are necessary for switching on some of those antioxidants. So, so how do you target it? So how do you target it? So there are ways in which you can target it. Having said that, and that's why I don't want to jump too quickly into this. He's a bit of this. a Rottweiler, isn't he? he? Is, You're yes. trying to set it up and he wants straight <laughs> to the point. Ian wants to know how do I get this, <laughs> this anti-aging molecule. Well, and I think that this molecule itself, and I think increasing it, certainly, um, you know, we, we were uh, one of the first uh, research groups to show that it actually decreases as you get older and decreases in line with some of those things like I talked about, like that free radical damage. If more of that occurs, then you actually decrease this faster. Mm. So, you know, a number of people sort of jumped on the board and bang went and go, okay, so if we increase it, doesn't that improve repair? And it does. In fact, we can show that if we can increase it, we can actually increase your resistance to, uh, to UV damage for skin cells and things like that. The only thing that you've got to recognise, it's a little bit like turbocharging an old car. If you just pop the nitrous oxide in there, you'll get that car going flat out to the end of the street. But, of course, you haven't looked after any of the other components and it'll probably fall apart very quickly. Might burn out. In a, in a big bang. Mm. So what we need to make sure is, while I think, yes, some of these molecules... Can, can we restore the, the engine to its original condition? Not when it's burnt out. Uh, no, and maybe well, not when it's burnt I'm out. I'm just wondering, because you know, this fellow, uh, David Sinclair, the Australian at Harvard, who's doing research into the ageing process. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, he's been able... To, he's got a, a mouse, uh, which is three and a half years old, but it's actually given this, this pill, and it's now only three months old. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I looked for the details on that particular study and they haven't actually put them out there yet. So uh, I think we need to be possibly just a, a little bit cautious about uh, jumping too quickly with that. I think when it comes to ageing, and particularly people get interested in ageing once they sort of reach their peak, which is probably 10 or 15 years after any of us, but, you know, you start to sort of think to yourself, hmm, OK, well, I don't want to progress down that path any further how can I stop it one of the things you've got to recognize is that there's a bunch of stuff going on in this very complex body mm. and we are making choices every day and I can tell you it's how much sleep you have what sort of exercise you do what sort of psychological stress you're under which ties in with what Wal was talking about as to how you connect with the community and the other yep. sorts of ways in which psychologically we remain well and what kind of nourishment we give to the body all of those things actually play a significant role as to then how the body ultimately biochemically is either under a stress which is degenerating it faster or degenerating... Now, while it's still going to die, all of us will still end up in that path. There are, as a, as a very complex integrated system, is there a way in which we could turn back the clock for every single molecule? Well, you would have to go back through and look at all the damage which is accumulated in every single tissue and be able to correct it to its perfect molecular structure. Now, I'm going to posit that certainly at this stage of our history, we have no way of doing that. Is there ways in which we can actually keep this physiology working better for longer? And do I think molecules like the NAD molecule are going to play a role? Yes, I do, and it's quite exciting. But how far it can tip, tip us back 
how far it can maintain us. I think we'll take judicious research and then an appropriate application of that technology. Otherwise, we'll find, and this is why I'm a little bit worried about people who'll sort of jump out and just spruik straight away and say, hey, we've got the elixir of life. No, we don't. We've got some exciting things, but uh, I don't want to sell you those things just yet. I want to be able to understand them a little bit. So just going back a moment, you you mentioned sleep, for example. Yes. Something we need to be uh, very careful of. Um, Any thoughts on how much? And and also um, power naps, where do they fit into the the picture? Yeah, look, I mean, sleep, first of all, one of the great things is your body is, I'm going to bring it back to an analogy of a factory, so a really complex factory. Now, you can keep that factory, you know, you've got a new manager that comes in and says, I want to increase production. So instead of shutting it down for maintenance, he just keeps this factory going on and on and on and on. His production is going to increase probably for the first week or so and then things will start breaking down and he'll have a major breakdown he'll probably be off for a couple of months. It's the same thing with the body. The time when we actually get to do a lot of what the biochemistry does at night is pretty much like the garbage trucks coming around, things like autophagy and mitophagy. They literally come around, they clear away all those debris and get rid of it because we're not doing other stuff. We're just lying there kind of semi-comatosed. So it's a great time for the body to be able to rest and repair and we do a whole bunch of sorting within the brain and all that sort of thing. So it's quite normal and quite natural for someone to fall asleep in front of the telly at night or to want a nap in the afternoon. This is the body telling it's telling you that it needs to do this. Well, there's we is- shouldn't be fighting it. issues that start stepping us towards narcolepsy and there's, there's reasons <laughs> which, which we probably don't need to go into too much here. But normal sleep, yes, and getting that and people will say a minimum of six hours. Mm. I think the, the, the probably the healthiest, certainly to my thinking, is anywhere closer to eight and nine hours. Uh, and if you're getting that kind of sleep and it's a good deep sleep where you're going into REM sleep, you're able to sort of uh, have those normal cycles cycling throughout the night, then I think you're great. The body is actually able to do its rest and repair. still depends on what you're doing outside, so what sort of nourishment you're putting in, whether or not you're stimulating the body with exercise and thinking and that sort of stuff. But, yes, yeah, certainly sleep is that. Power naps, yep, mentally. They've been demonstrated to, to be quite effective. So if you have been sleep-deprived or for whatever reason can get five or ten minutes in, yep, you are recharged. There's, there's benefits to that. Throw a little bit of a curveball here and say is caffeine doesn't help you sleep and caffeine is not a substitute for sleep. No. God, keep that one going, Ross. Come on. You've got you to be careful you don't sort of put me up now and give me a soapbox to talk about it but it's it's a, it's uh, i think unfortunately our society is is uh, and look there's positives about a cafe culture because we tend to get together i love the sort of uh, you know community that you yes. get outside and meeting together early in mm. the morning i mean you mentioned you know one of the things i love to do on a sunday morning is is sort of be down at the beach and and look it's it's fantastic um we do finish the surf and go and have a decaf latte mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on soy which always... I must yeah. add, you can't see him, but Ross has got a most wonderful suntan. <laughs> yeah, look. look... You look healthy. And I, I think what, what you're sharing with us is that the there are nutrient-nourishing calories and that sleep is an opportunity to recharge and regroup. It is vitally important. It's been shown to be important in depression. And the moment you don't service the factory... The factory, the the machines in the factory will break down. It's only a matter of time. So we can um, be the boss of that factory and say, well, yes, but I I want to get the most out of this life. I've only got one life. I need to use it to the full, in which case you go for it. You push every machine in that factory to the limit, Mm. but your life won't be very long. So do you want quantity of life or quality of life? Do you, if you nurture all of the machines in your body and you don't impose on them with 
a, a stimulant that's going to make them go faster or a and, and so therefore when it actually is tired you do just naturally rest mm. then your factory is going to be much more effective for longer absolutely absolutely and i think that's the sort of thing that we need to try and encourage people to do it's not about being awake longer mm. it's about being productive in yeah. a way that allows the body to think one of the interesting things if i'll just throw it in there with caffeine uh, because caffeine blocks a little receptor called the adenosine receptor. Now, that's the one that kind of picks up when you're running out of energy. It blocks it so you think that you've got enough energy. And unfortunately, with the brain, where we do most of our... Cre- well, where we do our creative thinking is in the frontal lobes. And 2015, a paper came out where they'd actually had a look at blood flow in relation to taking uh, caffeine intake. And it was only about 200 milligrams or around about that it's about a strong cup of coffee or Mm. maybe one and a half cups and uh, what they found is significantly reduced blood flow to the prefrontal cortex wow and there's a reason for that because basically it's blocking the adenosine receptors the brain is going oh okay so i don't need any more energy i don't need any more nutrients so it's saying well we don't need that same amount of blood flow close it down and so then you're looking at a brain which is now trying to function without having that. Two other studies were done. One was done out of uh, University of Texas. It was an honours project. The other one was actually done from a marketing company. And both of them were looking at the effect of caffeine on creativity. Mm-hmm. Both of them assumed that you would be more creative when you have your coffee. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Particularly the marketing company yes. would definitely have assumed that. Absolutely. And both of them found exactly the opposite to their surprise. Did they test it with a decaf? By any chance? They didn't test it with a decaf. <laughs> uh, but the interesting thing is, I mean, there are some positive things about uh, some of the molecules, even the antioxidants that you're getting from the coffee bean. And uh, so there's been a link with uh, um, uh, taking caffeinated, or sorry, taking coffee with uh, reducing things like diabetes. But the interesting thing was, is that uh, as long as you didn't put any sugar in it, if you put sugar in your coffee, then all of the effects went away mm. and you got just as good an effect out of decaf as what you got out of a caffeinated oh, really? beverage. Yeah. So it's some interesting... Does the process that a caffeinated bean goes through to get to be decaffeinated, does that have an impact on the body and what you're putting in it? Yeah, it's an argument that people will use. There's, there's some, um, there are a couple of different ways in which they do it. Um, one of them is, is using some organic solvents to sort of remove the caffeine and that type of thing. And there will be a little bit of residual. Um, certainly, in my opinion, they would be so small that uh, I don't think they will have a significant impact on the body. I mean, if you're drinking, you know, six or seven cups a day, you know, you're going to accumulate things that are in anything. Um, you're poisoning your factory. Well, I, I think so. black and white. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it might be uh, one of just being a little judicious about sort of not going overboard on any one thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is probably uh, another one of those. Um, uh, it's something for us to keep in mind that people latch on to, you know, something like, okay, well, if, if antioxidants are good, maybe I should take lots of antioxidants. There's vitamins like vitamin E, vitamin C, you know, etc. that I can, if I take lots of those, then if they're good, I should just grab hold of those and, and, and no. Uh, it's part of a very complex uh, society of molecules that all do good. Taking one or two in excess is almost certainly going to upset balances in different ways. So, again, that broad balance of 
healthy things taking into the body, stimulating the body in the right way with the sort of exercises, getting enough sleep, that's going to set you up really well for allowing the body to do well and excellently with all of the things that you do want to achieve. So if we go back to that community approach that you were talking about um, within the, the, uh, you know, the relationship between the neurons, was it the neurons, the cells in your, in your body, and then you've got the phytochemical that comes in and tries to separate the harmonious relationship... Yeah, so the free radical comes free in radical, to tries yeah. to separate that harmonious relationship. So, an ant, well, the phytonutrients, which contain a bunch of Those are the generous ones. They're the generous ones. They come in and donate an electron to the free radical, so they go off happy. Yeah. And then the phytonutrient goes and gets one from an appropriate source, which is the professional antioxidants the body has. But it's a team approach, isn't it? Because it's if we have approach. too many phytochemicals, that equally could... Yeah, look, potentially, and particularly if you have too many of one type, you know, yeah. people will say, oh, look, it's uh, the epigallocatechin gallate in, in green tea that's preventing all of this damage, or it's the, the resveratrol which is able to stimulate certain It's the Toto whiskey I have at night, you silly thing. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it is. Well said, Stuart. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that is, that is the point. It, it's, it's making sure that we get a variety of these. It's like yeah. not one, you know, one person doesn't create a positive society. They can add to it. Yeah. Yes. But you wouldn't necessarily just want to clone one person no. because, unfortunately, you'll get all of their negatives as mm-hmm. well. Yes. Uh, you want to have lots of people following on with a pretty good philosophy, and that's the same kind of thing that we want for our body. I love that. That's, yeah. that's a community approach inside our body as well as what Wall was saying outside our mm. body. Mm. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it, to hear the inside story from a scientist. Yes. Um, stuff that is certainly outside of my own scope of knowledge, but it does help explain uh, certain reactions, behaviours, feelings as I get older myself yeah. and, I, and starting to understand a bit where it's coming from. It's mm. the wonder of the body, this mm. organic part of us that if we actually leave it alone and don't impose on it with what we choose or what we think we really want, if we don't impose on it, it's, it has an amazing biochemistry. It functions extremely well, harmoniously, dare I say. Lots and lots of moving parts in there. Yes. <laughs> Incredible. And... and I wish we had a time, and you can't do it on radio even less than what you might be able to do in the more visual media, but I'd love to walk people through a hologram. I think sometimes this when oh. I'm sort of giving talks or lectures, I'd love to walk them through so that they can get a little bit more of a concept. We keep using words and then people's eyes glaze over and they say, oh, okay. And you just think, no, I, I've missed getting something across to you. It's something much deeper than that. And... You're absolutely right. This extremely complex integrated system where everything's tied into everything else. And so what we do does make an influence mm-hmm. for either positive. That's not to say that we should you know, get up in the morning kind of thinking, oh, what checklist should I do to make sure that I've done everything right? No, no, no. Just get up pretty much everything that our sort of common sense will tell us is good for us. We do those things, you know, make sure you've got good water, make sure that you sort of get a little bit of movement around the body, yeah. stimulate the brain, get some rest, make sure you have foods that are actually look like foods and, and you know, ultimately make something healthy out of them. Yeah. If I can come back very quickly to that yeah. point with, uh, you know, with kids, I mean, changing their taste buds so that they just enjoy whole fruits that are either frozen or made into smoothies or done into sort of different types of ice creams, they're absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take long for them to think, you know, I mean, if they go out and I've just, you know, got 
uh, people that I know that have sort of done this with their children. And when they have something sweet, it's like, oh, well, that's too sweet. Like, yes. I really don't enjoy that. Uh, and they're not getting that sort of that burst of flavours that you're getting when you've got something which is whole food. Uh, I think we just need to sort of come back to try and enjoy that kind of thing. And it has been too easy for us uh, to get things that are relatively easy and we get a little sort of sugar hit. But the negatives for that, unfortunately, it can, only takes two weeks sometimes, as you said earlier. Yeah, it doesn't to, take that to long. To change your taste preferences. Mm, mm. I used to have sugar in my tea, went cold turkey, and two weeks later, never needed it again. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, you know, exactly. sometimes that, that, that cold turkey is what puts people off doing it yes. because they have such a massive reaction. So, you know, as it, you, I take my hat off to you for doing it. Um, I had an addiction to sugar, which took me years to get rid of. But what I did was I started listening to what my body was telling me every single time I had sugar till it tipped to the point where I went, my body hates it. I actually feel worse having it mm. than I did when I had it. So the little hit of joy, of pleasure that I had far... It is is just nothing compared to the harmony and the the deliciousness that my body feels like when I don't have it. Mm. So it tipped, but I had to build a relationship with my body underneath to know what I did like, to actually recognise that the 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 thrill I was getting wasn't actually a thrill. It was mm. a chemical spurt that that wasn't that good. So it this communication that we can have with our body is extraordinary and again somehow you managed to to know that you didn't want to do it and your the the decision was so concrete your body went i'm fully with you i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna argue with you let's go for it and Mm. you know good on you i you know i think there are just two ways of doing it and that's what's so good is that if you listen to your body your body will tell you which way works for you cold turkey or building that relationship with mm. it underneath. Sometimes you can take advantage too of, of uh, uh, little disruptions in life. And I know f- for me, yeah. similar to Lucy, uh, possibly Ian as well, with that, with that sugar, loved sugar. Yeah. Uh, and we worked in a little country called Malawi in Africa for three years. And this is a place where you, you really don't uh, get much more than just what's growing out from the local mm. market and your, and your garden. And that's what we had, you know, just basically fresh fruit and veggies every single day. Mm. So by the time we came back to Australia and I thought, I'm looking forward to that chocolate. I could eat a whole block of yeah. family block of chocolate at, straight away. Grabbed one, <laughs> went to eat it and it's like, I'm sure it tasted better than this before I left. Yeah. Have they changed the formula? Yeah. I just, I didn't like it. Yeah. And so I've never gone back to it. And, you know, apart from recognising, of course, uh, that wasn't good for me anyway. So it was a good way of sort of going, okay, well, yeah. I don't feel like it now. Don't try and reintroduce it. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, look, we could keep going, Ross. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. But mm. all that this tells me is that this is a conversation we need to have. So we're going to try and have you back. And keep it going. And you never know, maybe we will create a situation where we can walk through the body on radio. We'll get everyone to sit down, close their eyes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ian, I'll leave it to you. No, no, I'm absolutely um, enlightened and delighted to have uh, had the opportunity to pick Ross's brain this morning uh, to compliment the story we heard earlier from Wall. Um, And I think if we put Wall's story together with the advice we've had from uh, Ross today, we will all uh, live a longer and a happier life. Thank you very much, Ross, for coming in. Pleasure to be here. What a fabulous interview that was, Ian. It was, absolutely. A great privilege to have someone of Ross's experience. Yeah. Uh, and working locally, too. And being able to explain it in the way he did. He mm. made it very relatable. There was nothing fancy. I mean, all those big words. But I saw them as characters and, and 
players in mm. our in the the performance piece of our body. Now. Um, Obviously, Rotary does so much work. There are a number of projects on the go. What are the key ones over the next couple okay, of weeks? Okay, um, first up, I just want to uh, take you back to an interview you did a month ago, Lucy. You interviewed Steve Plain. Steve is the um, Australian who is currently uh, attempting to climb the highest peak in each of the seven uh, continents of the world. Um, he was very badly injured in a surf accident, was paralysed, um, determined to recover and uh, set about this extraordinary uh, feat uh, and in doing so to uh, beat the world record. I'm very pleased to say that Steve has now done uh, four of the, the, the peaks. Uh, he's done Antarctica, he's done South America, he did Kilimanjaro and just a few days ago ascended Mount Carstens in uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, he's back in Sydney tomorrow and he'll be going down to Kosciuszko next weekend to inspire the participants in the Kosciuszko Wheelchair Challenge, which takes place next Saturday. Uh, we're taking a bunch of kids in wheelchairs up to the top from Charlotte's Pass, up to the summit and back again. Um, Steve will be there to encourage them. And um, the whole project is uh, to try and raise funds for Surf Life Saving WA and for Spinal Cure Australia. And more about Steve and Project7in4.com uh, is on the website, www.project7in4.com. So that's really good news uh, about, about Steve. News. And I think next week you might actually be doing an interview with him. You are right, Ian. Yep. Well done. So yep. tune in next week because this guy is someone who's ahead of schedule on a world record-breaking plan, but also um, giving back to um, Rotary and taking these kids who, who wouldn't get an opportunity to do something a little bit adventurous. And, and I really would ask, encourage people to go onto his website because there's some terrific photography yeah. and he's a very good communicator, very good writer. And there's photographs of him at the summit where he goes carrying a bottle of Lime Burner's whiskey. Now he's carrying a bottle of Lime Burner's whiskey to the top of each summit, um, which will then be auctioned off after it's all over as a souvenir of his excursion. And the other uh, Rotary project, Lucy, I want to remind people about is the Bobbin Head Cycle Classic. That's on 25th of March. Um, it's a community event, been going now for seven years. We have about 2,500 riders. All sets off from Karua Oval in Taramara. Yep. Four different distances, depending on your abilities. Um, you go through beautiful North Shore scenery, the lovely uh, leafy suburbs out to the bush, down, water views down by Bobbin Head and Akuna Bay. Um, it's a big project. We have about 500 volunteers working on the day as That's marshals. That's huge. Yeah. 500 yeah. volunteers is enormous. And they've come from many different community groups, including Rotary Clubs and, and other beneficiaries. And Hornsby Connect are And there. Hornsby Connect, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the charities that are beneficiaries of this project, including Lifeline yes. and, and the other charities, are all chipping in uh, personnel to, to help. Yeah. It's, it's very well resourced. The police, the SES, traffic management people are, are all on board. Um, still um, opportunities to um, to sign up and register. Um, and, um, Lucy and we're going to try and do an OB from there, aren't we? An outside broadcast, we're trying to yes. to work it out. But yes. if we can, we're going to be down at Karua Oval and interview some of the riders before they go and some of the marshals and people who have in, are involved. I don't think we're going to be there right at the end when they all start coming back, but we'll definitely record some of the some, interviews. Some will have actually returned, you oh, see. Awesome. Before the end of your show. Wow. Yeah, some of the ones, the earlier ones who are doing the shorter distances. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll be back at the Oval. But we're going to tell them they need to go super fast because we definitely want to hear how it was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Lovely. It's, it's terrific buzz, and I think it'll make a great um, OB for, for the station. Great. Well, 
we'll be there. Hopefully, we're just going to try and make it work. Thank you very much, Ian. Okay. Awesome. So now next week's show sees the start of our International Women's Day Festival. Very exciting. So please get your tickets to the events that are happening. The more, the merrier. We will have a Facebook Live launch from the PCYC at 7.30 next this coming Friday. And then events will kick off at 10 a.m. with Fusion's Pinterest group. I so wish I could go to that. It just looks great fun they will also be there on the festival finale on the friday i hope to see you at one of the events and on sunday morning we're going to have um nathan tilbury from hornsby council in the studio with me talking to us about the international women's day magnificent men event that they're they're hosting and then my uh we i'm just waiting to confirm my other guests so uh not that much longer a few more sleeps just a smidgen excited about that feel free to join live or listen into the blog whichever you feel to do so to close what i say each week uh, please remember that regardless of what has always happening to you in your life you are and always will be you and you are amazing the key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body's trying to tell you something's not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health, to build tools to address what you do not yet feel equipped to manage. Look for support in the community. It is there. You just need to open up to that support and learn to trust it again. Hey, don't wait for life to come to you. Take Wal Edwards' advice and take yourself to life. Be the change you want to see. The podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website. It's on SoundCloud and it's also on iTunes podcast. So wherever you listen, please leave a review. If you want to get updates, remember to like the at Stay in the Loop with Lucy Facebook page. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be love, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. Bye, Ian. Thanks very much, Lucy. Great to have it. Great to be here.